Let's go. <laughs> Good morning, man. I, I, I think I walked outside before. Did you do any dancing today? Did you do any dancing today? No, I didn't. Okay, good, good. No, no, I, I uh, should have brought that up. All right, good morning. Um, Tom said this is, this is the climax of, of our study. Actually, it's not. Uh, hopefully, you don't leave here today thinking, man, I'm glad it's over. No. <laughs> Uh, but what a, what a privilege just to study the Word together with you. Um, today we're, we're back in the book of Ephesians. Uh, I had the privilege to teach the first lesson of the book of Ephesians, and I thought it would be maybe nice just to put something visual for us to kind of recap what Paul has talked about it before we move into Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians ch chapter 3 is actually the second prayer that Paul is going to bring up to, uh, to our attention here. The first one was in Ephesians chapter 1. Um, Paul, in Ephesians chapter 1, he actually, he prays that the spiritual wisdom, uh, that God would grant spiritual wisdom to the believers so that they would grow in their knowledge and their understanding of who God is. And, and we went through this whole cycle here in Ephesians chapter 1. There's an introduction with thanksgiving. And we realize that the thanksgiving is actually pointing back to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, where he talks about the work of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, and the work of Jesus. So because of those things, Paul has a lot to be thankful for. And then he moves into his main section here where he asks believers to actually grow in the knowledge of God with the purpose of understanding the hope of their calling, understanding their inheritance in him, and understanding the power that God has. And, 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 and he ends this prayer with a threefold encouragement. And I, th I think this is really interesting as we look through this because he's, he uses the resurrection, he uses the exaltation of, of Christ going up to heaven in his bodily form now, and he talks about the lordship of, lordship of Jesus. And so it's really interesting in Ephesians chapter 1 because in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul does something similar, but asking God to actually bless the believers in a different way. Now he's going to ask them to strengthen them in the inner man so that they might comprehend the love of Christ that surpasses all understanding and that they might, they might be filled with the fullness of God. And he does something very similar. He starts off, and we'll, we'll see that throughout the study, with uh, with his approach to prayer, which is a reverence and submission, which is, I think, in one way, in a practical way for all of us, that is exactly the approach we should have. So Paul's example in, in Ephesians chapter 3 becomes something that we can actually apply directly into our lives. Once again, Ephesians chapter 3 is completely based on Ephesians chapter 1, 3 to 14. He goes back to the same idea. That's the foundation of why he can give thanks to God. But in chapter 3, he does something very special. He starts his prayer, and we'll look through that in just a moment. He starts his prayer in chapter, chapter 3, verse 1, and then he talks about the ministry that God has given him, the stewardship of his grace, the, the mystery that has been revealed, and he's a steward of that. And then he goes back in, chapter, in, in verse 14 once again to say, this is why I'm praying for you. But that is all based on Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, where he says that we have in Christ full access to God, and that's the reason why he's going to pray. And we'll walk through this in just a second. So if you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, I want to get your attention to a few things here today as we get this study going. Uh, one of them is, I want to start with the, with the approach of prayer. Now, let, let me ask you this practically. H how do you, what kind, of, what kind of approach can we have when we approach God in prayer? 
Obviously, Paul here is going to use something very special and very different. He's going to talk the word, he's going to use the word, I kneel before the Father. But when you approach God in prayer, what approach do you use? Just share with me anything practical that you use in your life, in your prayer life. I start out humble. Okay, so there's an attitude of, of the heart, humility, right? It's, it's not an outside um, uh, demonstration of what I want to have. It's something that's happening inside and it comes out on the outside. I right, humility. What else? I like to make sure I'm looking out a window or I'm outside to see nature. Okay. The beginning of it is just praising him for who he is and what he's done and see the beauty of what he's done has really helped set my, my attitude. Okay. So this is beginning with the word father. Father, okay. So there's some things that we can actually we can actually express. All right. Now look at this. Like I said before, he, Paul starts in verse 14 with the words for this for this reason. Which if you look at your Bibles, uh, most likely in chapter 3 verse 1, the first three words in there are also for this reason. So what does that really mean? Like what, what reason is actually Paul talking about it? So if you look here, Paul is actually, he, he's returning to the prayer that he started in chapter 3, verse 1. Once again, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, uh, prisoner of Christ. And he goes on to describe the ministry of the stewardship of, of God's grace in his life. And then in verse 14, he picks up, picks up on that idea again. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. So what, it, what is the reason? Well, once again, as I briefly mentioned, the clause for this reason points back all the way to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18 and 19. So let me read that to you. It says this. I'll read 17 as well. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. So that, now here's the purpose, that through him we both have access we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Who is we here? He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. Okay, that both Jews and Gentiles now have access to, to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and non-citizens, but you are a fellow citizen with the saints and members of the household of God. So he creates this idea that the access that God now has given to us is because of what God has done for us. And now we're all Jews and Gentiles. That's his argument. We're all part of the same household. Now, I remember coming to this country for the first time. And, and as I walked through uh, the airport with my paperwork, when I got to the little, little place where the officer was waiting for the foreigners, I had to hand them my paperwork to say, I'm, I'm, I'm actually allowed by the government to walk inside of this place. Now, after that, he stamped my passport and said, you're free to go. I didn't have all the rights that you did. I'll give you one example. When I went to seminary, I'm 27 years old. I'm only allowed to work inside of the institution that I, that I was studying 20 hours a week, no more than that, because that was illegal. That's probably the government trying to get a hold of me. But, but those, those are the privileges. So, so when Paul says that we now have access to the Lord, and we, in the, in the sense of Jews and Gentiles, he's saying, hey, God has, God has taken that barrier away, and we have this full access to him. Not only the access, but with the access to the Lord, we, ask, we also have all the benefits that God has for us in the person of Jesus. And so when Paul prays that, it's, it's a humbling 
prayer. And then we need to realize that Paul, Paul expresses the importance of having access to God by repeating the same idea. Listen to this. Remember, he started in verse 1 of chapter 3. He talks about the stewardship of, 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 his, of the mystery of God. Then he goes back in verse 14. But right before he gets to the prayer again, in verse 12, he says this, in whom, listen to this, and this is the key, in whom we have boldness and confident access to God. So for this reason, for the reason that we have a, a, a boldness access to the Lord, he's going to pray. And here's what he's going to pray about. He's going to say, I kneel before the Father. And here's the first thing that it has to do with our attitude. And I'm going to say ours because Paul is praying for the Ephesian believers that they would have the attitude that he's going to show here, which is to kneel. Now, this is a submissive attitude in prayer. Now, when I approach the Lord, I don't approach the Lord as if I am the Lord. I approach the Lord as if he is the Lord and I am submissive to him. Now, when Paul says to kneel, this is not a very common thing in the first century. Most, most people in the first century would actually stand. And if you look at your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 18, let me just point something else here for you in relationship to the posture that we have before the Lord. In Luke chapter 18, you have that in your notes, verse 11 and verse 13. You're very familiar with this passage. It's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And, 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 and listen to, to what happens here. The tax collector is going to say in verse 11 that, the, or I mean the Pharisee, the Pharisee stood and pray about himself. So he's standing. And then the tax collector in verse 13 says, the tax collector, however, stood far off and would not even look up to heaven. So once again, that was a very common way of praying in the first century. They, they, they didn't kneel down before the Father. They actually stood and prayed. Now Paul is going to use this, which is a really interesting uh, word. It's used four times in the New Testament. Three times, well, Ephesians chapter 3 and three other times, Romans 11, Romans 14, and Philippians chapter 2. Now what's... What's common about those three different passages? What's the common denominator? About Romans and Philippians and Ephesians. Paul. But here's the thing. Um, I have three little girls now. One is just six weeks old, so she, she can't do much. Besides now, she's learning how to smile, which is really cute. But my kids usually come up with some, some very creative things to do things in life. I'm not going to tell you anything because I don't want to embarrass them. But Paul is not creating anything new here. When Paul uses those words to kneel in Ephesians, Romans, and Philippians, he used them in the context of the Old Testament. Now, in your notes, you have some reference here. 1 Kings 19.18 is a reference that Paul uses in Romans 14.11.4. And... Um, in the book of, let me get it right, Isaiah 45, verse 23, Paul is going to use that quotation in Romans 14 and in Philippians chapter 2. Now, here's the common denominator of that. Not only Paul wrote that, but in all those passages, to kneel actually convey worship or submission. Now, worship or submission. Most of the time, if I think about myself kneeling, I'm putting myself into, into a submissive posture. But for Paul, that also means that he can actually worship. 
one thing that I've done, and I don't do it often, and I, and I, and I do it because I, I want to be submissive to God, is in the morning, usually when I open my eyes, I, I'm creating, trying to create the habit that I actually roll out of bed onto my knees. And what, has, what that has done for me personally, that has taught me that even the first glimpse of what I see and the first air that I breathe that I'm aware of in the morning does not come from me. So I'm worshiping him in submission and I'm being submissive because he's the one providing everything to me. So Paul does this, and this is an amazing illustration for us. But the second thing he does is, did you notice he used the word father, which is in this sense, a reverential attitude in prayer. Now, someone said here that when you pray in the morning, you use the word father. Who, who was that? Anybody else? How else would you describe God in, when you pray? What, what do you call him? Father God. Father God. Kind Heavenly Father. Kind Heavenly Father. Lord. I change it to make it more personal also because he loves me, so I'll go to Abba or even, it sounds weird, but Papa. Okay. I always think that although everything comes from him, he is approachable there, loving, giving, wrapped around. Yeah. That, so he's not far off. That, that is a great point. Now, remember this. This, this word here that we just looked at in the sense of he's kneeling before the Father, it's only used four times in the New Testament, and, and Paul writes all of them. Now, why didn't Paul write the word, for this reason I stand here? I, I think in one way, it's not, I, I can't read his mind, but in one way, there's different ways that we can actually approach God in prayer. And I think it's good for us to change sometimes what we do, because if you don't, you're going to be like my little six-year-old when she prays at night and she says, uh, God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for this food. Amen. And she's in bed ready to go to sleep. But she, there's no food coming right now. She's just used to praying that way, right? And it comes out naturally. We're not thinking through this process. So that's why sometimes it is good for us to change what we're doing. And here's, here's my challenge for you. There's many reasons for you to give thanks. And there's many ways you can do that. Now, look what he says here. This this, this word here, according to Paul, the father, as he says in verse 15, look with me, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. This is the father who is the creator of all things. Once again, we are his creation. And as I said, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we are the apex of his creation. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are his workmanship. But it is really interesting because... Going back to chapter 2, which is a little bit of the foundation here. In verse, verse 21, listen to what he says. In him, the whole building. So the idea that every family in heaven, the word every here, can go back to verse 21, which says in him, the whole building joined together grows into a holy temple. He's talking about the body of Christ. But look at verse 19 now, once again. So then that you have access as members of God's household. I can approach that. I can approach the father because he is my father in a personal relationship with him. And so Paul's not creating anything here and he's not trying to come up with something new. But what he's trying to tell the people is that I'm praying because God doesn't mind to be interrupted. Now, let me ask you a question here. If I call you at three o'clock in the morning, 
How, how many of you are going to pick up the phone? If I know what you all think Probably if I call you, your phone's going to say unknown. So you're going to probably think it's Pam, right? But if my daughter comes at 3 o'clock in the morning and she knocks in my door, I will answer her 100% of the time. And if I do that as a human father, how much more God will do that as a heavenly father? So as I told my students last night, don't ever under, under, underestimate the privilege that you have to come to the Lord in prayer and to approach him at any moment, at any time, with any circumstances, because he's not only powerful enough to listen to you, but he's capable, as we'll see today, to give us and to do far beyond we can ask or think. All right, so now let's go to the, meeting, the meat of this, but let me give you a takeaway our attitude towards God in prayer should reflect a balance between relational closeness as a child of God or children of God. Ephesians chapter 2, we are of his household in a reverential trust of his person, his position, and his power. All right? Now, let's go to chapter uh, 3, verses um, 16, all the way down, which is the main part of this, which is Paul's appeal in prayer. Can, can I have somebody reading this for us? It's right here on the screen if you, anybody? I pray that according to the wealth of his glory, he will grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person, that Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith, so that because you have been rooted and grounded in love, you will be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you will be filled up to all the fullness of God. Hmm. Amen. Thank you. Th this is Paul's prayer, and it's only three verses here, four verses, but it is very heavy. And so I'm going to try to break this down for us here really quickly. So the first thing that he says is, so the prayer is, if you ignore the red here, is I pray that he will grant you to be strengthened with power, okay? But, but here's what it's interesting about this, because when he says, according to the wealth of his glory, Paul is actually talking about the source of power. Now, how many of us, and as I read through this and I thought, how many times do I just go, I pray that you, God, will strengthen me? without actually recognizing from where the strength is actually coming from. Paul does that. And that's, for me, an amazing test testimony of how we can be praying to remember God as the source of, of the prayer. Paul here, he's describing actually the limitlessness of God's resources. Now, Paul could have used the word glory, and that would be glorious. But he says the wealth of his glory. Everything that exists in the sense of God as a, as, as a being. And then he says this uh, in relationship to glory. The, the word here actually describes perfection of character. And this is a quote from, from uh, O'Brien here. It says, describes uh, perfection of character and activity in God's glory is often displayed with power and in, in parallel with his goodness. That's the, the, the uh, page number two in your notes. But not only we see God's power 
He's going to say in his prayer that there's the request here he's going to present. And here's the first thing that we see that this power that Paul, Paul presents here is not only natural to us. He's, he's asking them that, he, that God will grant us something that we don't have or we cannot produce on our own. Now, once again, I'm going to pick on my, my friend Steve here who, who's got some cars. And, and, and when you talk about cars, sometimes it's either like looking good or about horsepower, right? And so what we're talking about here is that God will give us the power that only he has so that he can accomplish the work in our lives that he can accomplish besides, besides the fact that we can do that. It's not natural for me to do what God wants me to do apart from what God, the power of God in my own life. And so that's why Paul is praying. He's asking them to do something supernatural. Now he's going to say this, and this is really interesting. Look at this. this is the, there's an agent of strengthening here. Not only Paul gives us the source that according to the wealth of, of God's glory, and not only he's giving us the request to be strengthened through, this, through, through the spirit in the inner man, but he's giving the agent that's going to provide this. Once again, it's apart from you. Paul is saying there's nothing in you that can do this apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why he says here that the Holy Spirit is completely involved in this process. Now we have access to God and our prayers are now, listen to this, and this should, should give you confidence as you approach the Lord because not only you have access to God, he has opened the doors, but now the Spirit's going to mediate your prayers through that access. And then we see the sphere of Paul's request, which is the inner man which literally means, or the inner person, as Paul writes, which literally means the inner man here. Now, let me show you a parallel text that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that also describes this a little bit. Can I, ha can I have somebody, a volunteer, to read this for us? Uh, therefore, we do not despair, but even if our physical body is wearing away, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light suffering is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison because we are not looking at what can be seen but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary but what cannot be seen is eternal. So, so, so explain this logic for me. How can my body be, I'm going to use the words of Paul here, wearing away I'm thinking fading away, okay? I'm, I'm going to the ground. But my inner person, if, if, if with my strength I'm going down, how can I in my inner person be strengthened? What's, how is the logic? What's, what's, what's going on here? Maturing in your faith. You're maturing your faith. What else? Becoming more like Christ. You're becoming more like Christ. Ephesians 5.1 says that we have this excess now that we can become imitators of him, right? What else? Surrender. Surrender. Spiritual power instead of physical power. The spiritual power instead of the physical power. Do you realize that the idea here is that the physical, and he uses the word physical body, is actually, we're done. <laughs> we're cursed. But he has done something in us that now inside of us, through the spirit of Christ, now we can withstand the momentary suffering 
that this world has because we're not looking for anything that's seen, but we're looking for things that are unseen because the temporary things of this world are fading, but the eternal things are eternal. And that's exactly what he does. So let me ask you this question. And I, I wanted to spend a few minutes on this question here. What is the benefit if the inner man is strengthened? What is the benefit to us if the inner man is strengthened? George. A lot of times in life, personally I've found, and I've seen it in many other people, that even though physically you might not be able to go on, spiritually in the inner man you find what is necessary to keep going in spite of the weakness of your body. You know, there is that endurance, there's that persistence, there's that doggedness. Uh, I used to do full contact tournaments and you know, grappling, that kind of stuff, and I could last way beyond my physical means just because I refused to give up that stuff. And I could come to a victory maybe because, you know, 15 minutes down the line, my opponent was worn down and I was just refusing to give up and suddenly there's an opening. God gives us that strength to go on even when our physical side can't do it. You see it in warfare, you see it in heroes, you see it in people who overcome. And that's what Paul talks about too, overcomers. We're not overcomers physically, we're overcomers spiritually for the long haul, the marathon, the race that is. Nice of perseverance, that's one. Lucky. I think that it is uh, a part of uh, the fact that uh, God understands our inner self um, as much as he does what we do out, out physically in the world. So in other words, your heart, your, your soul is what really God is looking for, not just your physical standing up and praying or what have you, whatever in, in public. It's more of what your inner self is doing in private with him and, and for him. Okay. I'll, I'll go here and then I'll... Uh, interestingly enough, I mean, we're, we're called upon to to create and build disciples. And the super strong man, typical, you know, everything else, is seen one way. But the man who is most successful in creating disciples is the one who has the inner strength, not the external strength. And that's displayed by how they hold themselves, what they say, yeah. how they do, and how they follow through. And that's the most important part to be strengthened. When your body's given up, you can inspire more people to come to God by how you deal with that. Okay, so... so your own great. So in one sense, the, the benefit of being strengthened in the inner person is that we can, through the Holy Spirit, benefit other people, right? I, I had... I'll piggyback on that thought that came to my mind. is people experience the inner self, not the outer self. So the experience people have with me comes out of who I am inside, not the physical. So again, on that, to make disciples or just to be, my thought was to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That comes internally as opposed to the extra. How people experience me has changed when my there, There's a, when I, when I became a believer at the age of 20 to be 21, one of the guys that was influential in my life, he used to like, he used to listen to this band called Petra. And they had a song called Garbage In, Garbage Out. All right? I don't know if that's the name. That's, that's, those are the only words that I remember because I didn't speak English. So, uh, But it is true, right? Whatever comes in, comes out. I mean, whatever goes in, comes out. 
And if, if the inner man's not being strengthened, then what's going to come out is, is it's, it's garbage, right? I can be moral for a few minutes, but to be moral for my whole life, it's impossible. So, Ed. As our, as our inner man is strengthened, changes our perspective, instead of looking sorrowfully on the deterioration of the body, we can look with expectation and look forward to heaven. Yeah, remember the, 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 we probably don't, but in Ephesians chapter 1, when we talk about hope, hope is actually uh, the assured expectation that that's going to take place. So whatever God has told us, it, it will happen. And so as we mature, that, that's, that work of Christ in, in our lives through the Holy Spirit is going to filter us into how we live, that there's no other way around. And I wanted to take the time to go through this question and, and take a break from this right here because, because so often we think about, you know, I just gotta, I just gotta do the things on the outside. I gotta get the chores, the, 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 the tasks done that I need. I need to do the things on the outside, but sometimes we, we forget to take inventory of what's going on, what God wants to do here. And for us to think that Paul's praying for them in a submissive and reverential way that they will be strengthened in the inner person so that they will know the knowledge, the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge is mind-blowing. So now let's go back here really quickly. Uh, all the, all the, the, question, the answers were re really great. So we talked about the source of power. We talked about the request. And now he's going to talk about the result. And the result comes from verse 17 when he says that Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, there's, there's a difference here. It, this, is, this is not what we talked about in the sense of like uh, the indwelling that the New Testament talks about. In page three of your notes, there's a quote from Honer, and I'm going to read that for you. This is not a reference to Christ indwelling at the moment of salvation. Because as Paul states, you have been, and look at this, once again, that the results that Christ will dwell in your hearts, but listen to this, because you have been rooted and grounded. So the, 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 the dwelling here is not at the moment of salvation because you already are rooted and grounded in love, which is Christ's love here, which means this, this dwelling must be afterwards. And so Honer says, you have been rooted and grounded in love. Instead, it denotes contemplated result, namely that Christ may be at home in, that is, at the very center of or deeply in attitude and conduct. It is important to understand that the strengthening of the inner person is what results in a deep dwelling of Christ by the means of faith. Now I have faith in salvation. Now what Paul is saying is that I need to have faith as I live my life in the process of sanctification. Now, there's, there's some things here that, that actually are really significant here. And I want to point out that really quickly. The word rooted here is an agricultural term that Paul uses in this context. Okay? And the word grounded is an architectural uh, idea that Paul pulls out. So he's, he's talking about two things here that will help us understand one major comment that he's going to make, which is going to come in verse 18. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you hanging for, for that for a moment. But so we're rooted, we're established. It's the idea of this tree going down and getting, getting roots. And now we have the house illustration where there's the foundation that God can come in and abide. Now, two years ago, a little bit less than two years ago, I moved back into my, into my home in Brownsburg. And um, the house was a mess. 
Uh, we rented for three and a half years, and it was, it was messy. It smelled bad, and, and it, there wasn't anything like we remembered three and a half years before. There was a lot of remodeling and cleaning up to do. And in one way, that's exactly what God is doing in us through Christ. He comes in, he abides in us. He's taking residence in here. And if I know myself well enough, which I don't, but if I know myself a little bit, I understand that there's a lot of cleaning up to do in this heart of mine. And so God wants to, through Christ, he wants to dwell in our hearts through faith because we have already been rooted and established and grounded in him. Now, look at this. Paul's going to talk about the purpose. Now, you guys have any comments, any questions up to now? Everything is clear as mud? No, okay. All right. Well, Paul is going to go into the result. And the result is that to know the love of Christ. That's what he expects. But here's a key takeaway. God makes the opportunity to comprehend the love of Christ available to all the saints. To all the saints. And that's really important here. But look at the purpose. The first purpose here is to understand the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of his love. This is the extent of Christ's love. If you think about east, west, north, and south, it doesn't stop. It keeps on going. This is what Christ has done for us. And that's the love that Paul is praying that they will be able to comprehend. Now, is it possible to understand the impossible? Perhaps not. But can we comprehend more than we comprehended yesterday? And that's the idea that Christ's love is so vast that every time we grow in him, we're learning more and more about the, the vastness, the, the, the extent of his love. And then he says this in verse 19. He says that, and thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, once again, how can I know something that surpasses knowledge? My, my knowledge is limited. And that proves every time I come here and I hear Dr. Craig would teach, I realize, my goodness, I know nothing. <laughs> but that's the knowledge of Christ. And remember, for me to approach God in a submissive and humil humble approach like Paul did in the beginning, I need to understand that his love surpasses everything that my mind can understand. And so he says this, and not only that, he says the love of Christ is only able to, to be comprehended through the Spirit. Now, do you see the importance of the inner works of Christ, of the Holy Spirit in us to be strengthened? Because without that strengthening, you can't understand. And I don't have this in your notes, so this is a side note for you. If you look through this text, you realize God the Father, God the Son, and God of the Holy Spirit are involved in this prayer. Here's one more thing. Not only that we'll be able to understand to know that Christ, the love of Christ that surpasses the knowledge, but that you will be able to be filled with the fullness of God. And the fullness of God in here is directly connected to the love of Christ. The breath, the, 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 the extent of his love for us. To be filled with that. Now, um, any questions? Any comments? Michael, I think in terms of dimensions, length, width, and height, but there are four pieces to this particular, it's depth, or the idea that there's more than just the way we see. Mm -hmm. 
there's there's a fullness of the dimension. Absolutely. And that, that's exactly what most scholars would say that, that Paul is describing four dim dimensions of this amazing love that Christ has for us. Now, let me give you an illustration. Dr. Craig was at Baptist Bible College when I was a student in the seminary. And, and there was one summer we had a storm coming through the campus and I worked every summer. So in the summer, as a foreigner, I could work more than 20 hours a week. I could work 40. So in the summer, I worked 40 hours a week. So one day, one, one day of, of that specific summer, I was supposed to work in the gymnasium. And the night before, we had a storm coming through. And, and we had a lake. And, and, and literally, we had a lake. We had the school with the lake and a road and another piece of property on the other side. And this storm came through and took every, every single tree that was in this path. Now, the trees were huge. And so in the morning, I get there and I looked at the damage. And uh, I, I realized something really significant about those trees. They were huge on the outside, but the, the roots were two feet deep, 20 feet wide. And with the wind coming, it took everything out and ripped all the ground off, and the trees are now all dead. So I spent all summer just chopping trees down with a chainsaw. To be rooted in Christ is not just to go this way. Because his love, as Ray was saying, will take you deeper, not just wider. So here's how Paul ends this prayer. He makes an announcement of praise. And we only have two minutes, and I'm going to give you two things here for you to think through it. When Paul ends this passage, he says, Now to him who by the power that's working within us is able to do far beyond that we ask or think. Now that's mind-blowing for me. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And he ends this, remember he started with this approach to prayer. He, he prays, he, he's appealing to the Lord in prayer. Now his, his announcement is going to be focused in two things. One of is the word power. It's the same word here that strengthened the believers in the beginning that he's asking them for the power of God to strengthen them is the power that's working in us. Now, listen to this. He's asking for power to be in your life, to strengthen you, but that power is already in you. It's like a friend of mine, he's a bodybuilder, and he, he takes a bunch of protein and things like that. It's like he, he keeps on taking it, even though his body just can't handle it anymore. It's in you, and God wants to give you more to work within us. Now, look at this. It's a power that's also able to do far beyond all we can ask or think, which Paul now is encouraging the believers to meditate on the greatness of God. He ends this, this, te this text in a doxologist saying, now that I've prayed for you, meditate on these things. And then the last thing is, he's going to talk about God being glorified. When his character is displayed in our lives in such a way that there is no possible explanation other than his pre presence and power working in us. And Paul is praying that when people looked at them and people realized what was going on in their lives, that they would say there's no other reason apart from the word of God and the work of God in your life. So I, I, I've prayed this for you this week. And I'll continue to pray that from now until the time we come back, that God will strengthen you in the love of Christ, that you might be able to understand the love of Christ for you that surpasses all knowledge. Let's pray. Father, just thank you so much for this time. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your love for us that 
is impossible to describe, but we thank you for Jesus. What a great time to celebrate Christmas. And I pray, Father, for this country, revive this country, and bring a revival upon this nation that we might be able to reflect the love that you have for us and that we may not be punished for rejecting your truth and your word. Thank you for every man here this morning. Bless them and their families. Keep them safe. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.